I'm trying to reach as many people as I can to let them know what reality is uh, for them, contrary to a lot of what I see us seeing on social media uh, and in the media in general, and that is that you can't make it. I'm a dirt poor kid, I'll oh, tell yeah. my story. It's, it's a hellacious story of where I grew up and how I got where I am. I have zero education. I didn't graduate from high school. I was on the streets at 17 years old, and along the way, I've been able to fashion this career for myself in the way that I did that. And so my whole life, I heard it was somebody else was pulling the strings I grew up in the poor neighborhoods it's just about telling people what what's possible and then to give as much advice as I can for free you know I want to help as many people as I can and the younger the people the 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 happier I am to help them particularly the young startups are an inspiring group of people. Every one of them from the larger-than-life comic book heroes you see on the big silver screen, the everyday heroes that let us live the privileged lives we do. Every hero has a story to tell, from the doctor saving lives at your local hospital, to the war veteran down the street who risked his life for our freedom, to the police officers and the firefighters who risk their safety to ensure ours. Every hero is special and every story worth telling. But there is one class of heroes that I think is often ignored. The entrepreneur, the creator, the producer. The ones who look at the problems in this world and think to themselves, you know what? I can fix that. I can help people. I can make a difference. Then they go out and do exactly that by creating a new product or introducing a new service. Some go on to change the world. Others make a world of difference to their customers. Welcome to The Hero Show. Join us as we pull back the masks on the world's finest heropreneurs and learn the secrets to their powers, their success, and their influence. So you can use those secrets to attract more sales, make more money, and experience more freedom in your business. I'm your host, Richard Matthews, and we are on in three, two, one. Hello and welcome back to The Hero Show. My name is Richard Matthews, and I am live on the line with Jerry Brazy. Are you there, Jerry? I am. Awesome. Glad to have you here. So, Jerry, you're joining us from Portland, Oregon, right? That is correct, Richard. Yes, sir. Awesome. And for those of you who are following along with our travels, we are still serving out our coronavirus sentence in, uh, in um, Kissimmee, Florida. So we're still here. We're not moving for... Uh, you know, all of the uh, craziness that's going on in the world. So that's where we're still at. Um, so for those of you who don't know who Jerry is, I'm going to run through a quick introduction for him, and then we'll get in and start talking a little bit about his story. So Jerry was a uh, dirt kid, or dirt poor kid from Portland, Oregon, with eight brothers and sisters, which is pretty awesome, um, who has owned and operated more than a dozen companies over the last 20 years with combined sales of more than $400 million, as well as a commercial real estate investor with multiple buildings in Portland, as well as land development and a residential home builder. Um, so what I want to start off with, Jerry, is what is it that you're sort of known for now? Why do people come to you? What's the primary like product or service you offer to the market? Um, and, you know, just start there. What, what is it that you're known for? Uh, I own a, a large transportation company. We have about 130 employees, uh, Oregon, Washington, and Idaho. Uh, everywhere from I have a walker that does work for uh, the DA in downtown Portland, all the way up to uh, you know line halls that uh, that line hall between three states. So, and kind of every vehicle in between. I've had that business okay, so now. You're going to uh, have to de define a couple of things for me. You said. Sure. Said, uh, said walker and line hall, and I don't know what either of those things mean. So literally, uh, we have like a walker down in the, in, the, uh, uh, in the courthouse that moves files for the district, of, for the district attorney uh, and is an employee of mine. And so I have someone that actually walks for a living working for the county. Oh, okay. Uh, and and so you then like literally the, mean a walker, someone a who walker. walking. Yeah, someone who walks just like the 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 Walking Dead's, uh, literally a walker. Uh, and then all the way up to every vehicle in between, if you will, depending on what needs to get transported, all the way up to line halls and trucks uh, that go interstate. 
Awesome. So, um, and that's, so that's a transportation company. You guys, you guys do all sorts of like, what kind of things do you transport? Is it just like you mentioned files and then like, what kind of things are on the, uh, some of your, your bigger, literally, uh, you know, anything and everything from paperwork to auto parts, to medical supplies, to pharmaceuticals, lab specimens, uh, food specimens, uh, you, you name it. Uh, it probably has moved or is moving on our trucks. So interesting question then, just because I'm not in the space where we have to move product. How does someone know when they need to hire you? Is this something that you have to go out and do marketing to find someone like, hey, in case you need something, move you hire us? Or do they go, you know what, I need to hire a transportation company and they go looking for you? Uh, they largely come looking for us. I mean, there's there's a certain sales aspect to it and has been, but um, the the you know when people put out uh, requests for bids, um, it, particularly at our size, we're going to be one of the first person that, that one of the first companies are going to make sure, particularly in Oregon, because we have such a huge footprint out here. Uh, and things are so far apart out here that, uh, that transportation companies with the kind of infrastructure that we have are few and far between. So, uh, yeah, I mean, some, we just started an account, uh, here at the first of June, uh, as a million two a year, as an example. Uh, wow. and we were one of three companies in the country that could have done on it. So it, to some extent, they're coming after us. But then, you know, the company's built long and hard off of just good old fashioned knocking on doors and getting sales calls. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So so just out of curiosity, what does how does, you know, coming in and doing podcast interviews like this help build that business? It doesn't. So what's yeah. the purpose of the podcast interviews? Is this yeah, for someone it does no, the, pers the, the purpose of the podcast is my story and where I come from, and I try, I'm try i trying to reach as many people as I can to let them know what reality is uh, for them, contrary to a lot of what I see us seeing on social media uh, and in the media in general, and that is that you can't make it. I'm a dirt poor kid. I'll tell oh, yeah. my story. It's, it's a hellacious story of where I grew up and how I got where I am. I have zero education. I didn't graduate from high school. I was on the streets at 17 years old, uh, and so I've been through. I've seen multiple murders and suicides and violence like you wouldn't believe, and Along the way, I've been able to fashion this career for myself and the way that I did that. And so my whole life, I heard it was somebody else was pulling the strings. I grew up in the poor neighborhoods. Uh, and, you know, it was that man back east that somehow was had some impact on my life. And there's no way to get ahead. And when you're poor, you can't do these things. And so I said, as part of my uh, uh, of this podcast and starting the podcast, the Jerry Brazy podcast, it's just about telling people what what's possible and then to give as much advice as I can for free. You know, I want to help as many people as I can. And the younger the people, the, the, the happier I am to help them, particularly the young startups. So I have a lot of interaction with young startups, uh, companies that are two, three years old that are trying to figure out how to grow. Um, and, and again, that access to, you know, how many people are there out there? This is a bit self-serving that have done. Well, we're almost a $500 million in revenue over 22 years. I didn't know the first good goddamn thing about business uh, when I started. So I didn't know about interest rates. I didn't know about mortgages. I didn't know about financing. I didn't know about anything. I am a kid from the street. And so my podcast is all about, and me doing this is to try to get that message out about what's possible. That's awesome. Yeah. So it sounds a lot of like, um, it actually sounds like it's a really good fit for uh um, for like where we're going with this show, because one of the, uh, the the reasons why we build the hero show is just the idea that, you know, for so long, historically, like if you look, you, know, you said you had kids before we got on the thing, you know, every kid show you watch, they, the, the, the villain is always an entrepreneur, right? It's like yeah. some guy who's, you know, 
who's pouring oil in the uh, in the water and killing all the ducks and like that's you know the the good guys have to fight against the entrepreneur um and i've always hated that message and i like you know because the reality is is that like everything you interact with on a daily basis is built by someone like you right someone who is coming in and um and touching and building all the products and services that we use on a daily basis entrepreneurs really are what make the world go round so we're looking for you know to tell stories of entrepreneurs and help lift them up and like them make them into the heroes that they really are so which I think drives really nicely into my next question for you, which is about your origin story, right? So we talk on this show, every good comic book hero has an origin story. It's the thing that made them into the hero they are today. Um, and, you know, so we want to hear that story where, you know, were you, were you born a hero? Were you bit by a radioactive spider that made you, you know, want to do business? Or did you start in a job and eventually move into becoming an entrepreneur? Um, so basically, how, how did that happen for you? How did you get into the world of business? Uh, necessity and opportunity. So I am child number seven of nine kids and my parents had six kids by the time they were 22 years old. So that is my older six brothers and sisters, uh, are less than a year apart on average. My mother had a zero year old and a five year old, six kids. Uh, and then, yeah, if you can imagine that. And then seven years later I came along and they didn't want me to be an only child. And so I have a little brother that's 22 months younger and a little sister that's four years younger, uh, than I am. So that's kind of born right into the middle of this big family. And we were about as poor as you could be. And so, uh, powdered milk and stealing food. My little brother and I knew how to steal from, uh, every shopping mall and center that you can imagine. Uh, and which is how we fed ourselves a lot of time. Uh, really the, the, the true definition of a latchkey kid, because, uh, my mother worked, uh, my dad worked, no one was ever at home and we were kind of just left to our own devices. And so, uh, that is the way that I grew up, you know, not a lot of, uh, uh, not a lot of college or high school graduates in my lineage, uh, you know, no, on neighborhood wise, it just wasn't something that, uh, that happened. And then by the time you're 13, 14, 15 years old, the streets start to take over. And by the time I was 17, I was out of high school and uh, at 16. And by 17, I was living on the streets. But growing up like that, the one thing kind of from an origin story perspective for me is I got my first job at 11 years old. I washed dishes. I paid taxes, believe it or not, uh, Richard. I paid taxes as an 11-year-old. Uh, I had a job. I got a job awesome. at a local restaurant up the street. I, I, I washed dishes. And uh, he paid me in a check. And I remember it's the first time I'd ever had money. And he paid me in a check and took taxes out. And then I went down and cashed that check. It was $17.34. And I cashed that check for all $1 bills so that I looked like I had a wad of, of money, like I had seen on TV, right? Uh, and, then, and, and bought my first meal with my own money. It's the first meal I ever bought at a restaurant was with my own money. And so that started, I, at a, at that very young age, I've never not had a job since. And I've never, n- and I've never missed a day of work. I'm 51 years old. So for 40 years, I've not missed a day of work and I've never not had a job. And because for me, work and, and food went together, work. And when, yeah. once I got that job and I figured out that I could eat based on from that job, eat food that I liked and eat food that I wanted, then for me, that was always inextricably linked. And even to this day, um, I got to be honest, if I gave myself the chance to think about it, it's all subconscious. Now, I think about it every morning, it's how I'm going to eat. So you got to get up and go to work, regardless of how you feel. Yeah, absolutely. Um, It's it's a I have a similar sort of story. I didn't grow up on the poor side. I grew up in a middle class household. 
Um, but I got started in business at uh, um, about 13 years old. I had uh, I had been reading some books from Robert Kiyosaki that my dad had had you know someone had given him at work and he wasn't going to read, so I took them and read them myself. Um, and uh, I I convinced my dad to give me a loan for 50 bucks. Um, and so I got the $50 loan from him and, uh, you know, a loan as a ride to the, to the big box store. And I bought a whole pile of, uh, those big candy bars that you can't get at school. Right. So like the big nerd ropes and the hundred grand bars and the big giant snicker bars and whatnot yeah. from, uh, from the smart and final. Um, and I went to, uh, went to campus with, you know, like the, the proverbial guy, you know, guy selling uh, fake Rolexes on the streets of New York. I was like, you know, showing my wares, except it was in a backpack and it was full of candy. Um, and I, Lasted about six weeks and sold probably about fifteen hundred dollars worth of candy before I got a. I tell people I had you paid taxes. I got my first government shutdown at thirteen, um, so I had uh, the powers that be told me I was not allowed to sell on campus without a business license. And being right. thirteen, I couldn't have a business license, so they shut me down. Um, so, <laughs> anyways, that's uh, that's how that started for me. But it was it's it's that addiction. Like you realize that like hey, I can actually create. I can create the wealth that I want. And for me, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't linked to food. It was linked to the freedom. Like I can do what I want. Right. So yeah, like I if I, if I can create the income, then I can do the things that I want to do. I didn't, I didn't have any concept of entrepreneurship or even business in general, uh, or going into my own business till I was, uh, I had an epiphany at 28. Uh, so up until then, I just knew that, uh, you know, I worked at, uh, this small restaurant and then all of a sudden international house of pancakes downtown on Saturday and Sunday gave me full time two days. Uh, and I just had to be there at six o'clock in the morning. So there I am a 12 year old kid taking two buses to downtown Portland, uh, to work at this international house of pancakes. And they paid me 50 cents more and gave me a free meal. Uh, I don't work for the meal. I, I say all the time, my favorite uh, meal ever. I remember it like it was yesterday was a club sandwich. I never had that many fries before and the, the cooks knew I was a poor kid and they, you know, kind of, you know how they cut that club sandwich yeah. into four pieces and they put the fries in the middle of it. Well, I had this giant pile of fries. Now, again, everything I ever had up to that point, you ate quickly or shared either you wanted to share or you didn't, right? Because there's so many hands. Uh, so this was the first time that I ever got to sit in a break room. No one, I'm sure I kind of covered it up and, you know, kept my eyes going back and forth <laughs> to make sure nobody took, uh, took a bite of it, but I couldn't believe it. So right then that's kind of where I was like, okay, I can make for myself, not necessarily entrepreneurially, um, but I can make for myself through this thing called work. Uh, and really ultimately through, through all of my, my the rest of my life, uh, and particularly that formative years, as I fought my way from where I lived to where I've gotten, uh, it was all based on hard work. So no matter where I was, I just went to work. So if I'm living on the street, I lived in a 25, when I was 17, I lived in a $25 a week uh, flop house with hookers and heroin addicts. Uh, like you would imagine, it looked like in a bad, dirty, hairy movie, you know, just one lamp, yeah. no lampshade, uh, a sheet over the, over, the, uh, over the window and a creaky old double bed uh, and a shared bathroom down the hall. Uh, and I lived there for $25 a week, but I did my best not to get robbed or killed on my way out and robbed and killed when I came home because I went to work every day. So I just had that in, in, you know, coming from being poor, uh, and, and from eating, it just was ingrained in me to go to work. And so where I am here today, I learned to be an entrepreneur because I was always looking for a new job. I've had 25 jobs. I've always looking for a new job. Wherever you'd pay me more, I'll come work for you. And so then I worked for Safeway and I worked for McDonald's and I've, I've worked everywhere 
give my two week notice. I acted correctly. But if somebody would pay me more, I quickly figured out that that market force was at work and that I had value because of my work ethic. And so I could extract money from that value uh, that uh, that maybe my, my my peers weren't able to do because I simply was able to and willing to work. Yeah, yeah. That reminds me of one of the lessons I try to teach my uh, my kids all the time. And maybe you've done something similar. But one of the things I always do with my kids is we're going around the, uh, um, you know, our normal daily interactions is I always try to point out the the people who are working. And I always tell people I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, you're you are paid in direct proportion to the value you provide. Right. Mm -hmm. So I always like, you know, we'll point at like the guy, the guy twirling the signs on the street, what's the value he's providing, right? And how much you think he gets compensated for that versus like the person that you're, you know, you are who's who's selling you food at the uh, at the restaurant to like, you know, the people who are picking berries in the farms. I always ask him like, what's the value they're providing? And right. like, let's take a step above that. And like, you know, what about the guy who owns the farm? Right. What's the value he's providing? And he's providing the jobs and he's providing the food and he's doing all these other things. And like, do you think he gets, you know, compensated differently for that? So it's like a, a conversation we're constantly having. Realize that, hey, your value, the value you give is directly proportional to how you get compensated in this world. And that's um, so and, and that goes back to that's a great point, because it goes back to why I'm I'm talking to you and why I do these podcasts and why I do my own podcast is people don't get kids don't get caught, get don't get taught that. I mean, I was born in 1969. I went to school in the, through the early 80s. No one teaches you this stuff. There's, there's no one telling me how business works and economics works and civics works. That, you know, they, that's, and, and it's just gotten worse. It hasn't gotten any better. So uh, I think hopefully through doing these things and having these conversations with guys like you, um, that message gets out there. Yeah, absolutely. So how did how did that transition go? You said you started and you had an epiphany at 28. How did you go from realizing that, hey, I could work time for dollars or I could work for free, essentially, and create a system that, that drives value and get paid, you know, considerably more for what you put in? How did that happen for you? Let me I'll back up. I've had two big epiphanies in my life um, that have that have put me where I am. And the first one was when I was 14 years old. When I was 13 years old, my older sister died uh, of a of a heart disease, cardiomyopathy that killed her on her 21st birthday. She died literally on her 21st birthday. Uh, and then eight months later, I went blind in my right eye. So so I'm a now a 14 year old street kid nothing but trouble. I'm six foot four, 230 pounds at the time. I'm a big, I'm a big guy. Uh, and was just all full of piss and vinegar and looking for anything I can. Uh, and I got rolled by four guys at a, at a mall here in East County, uh, Portland rolled as I got robbed. Uh, and they robbed me and they gave it to me pretty good. And they rolled me underneath of a, of a bus stop kind of facing in underneath the bench. Uh, and I woke up, passed out, and had blood all down my front. Now, this is 1983. It's a different world than it is today. I got on the bus and took the bus down to my transfer point where I passed out under a big tree at a park uh, because, like I said, they gave it to me pretty good. Figured out that my nose was broken. I have this big notch on the top of my on the right-hand side of my nose. Uh, and so they had broken my nose, and so I'm holding it shut. And then I get on another bus, and then I have a two-and-a-half-mile walk, uh, and I could take you to the point, I could take you to the spot today. Anytime I drive by it, I have to tell whoever's in the car with me this story. I remember it that this this well. Uh, it's like it happened yesterday. And I was standing there just about to walk over the freeway on this bridge in northeast Portland. I'm holding my nose closed because the bone keeps jutting out and the thing won't stop bleeding. Both eyes are completely black, and my front is covered in blood. Uh, and I remember thinking at 14 years old, okay, if you don't 
take care of yourself, no one's going to help you. No one's going to take care of you. I had that epiphany as clearly as I'm sitting here talking to you. And I never forgot that. So that independence, don't count on anybody else. The government's not going to help me. My family's not going to help me. I mean, when I got home, there was no one there. And for three days, <laughs> Richard, for three days, I sat in my bed and held my nose shut until the bones stopped coming apart. That's what, when you're poor, that's what you call going to the hospital is you just hold it shut until it's until it no longer opens until up it, until it heals until it you know heals yeah um and so that's kind of the first epiphany i had that put me if i was to say down that entrepreneurial road that is the independent road where everyone else is going right and i decide to go left it's because from that point forward i was responsible for myself if i went to prison that was on me. If I, if I murdered somebody, that was on me. If I sold drugs, that was on me. Or if I went to work and did what I'm supposed to and worked hard, that's on me also. So I had that epiphany at 14. Jump forward to 28. Uh, I probably had about 25 jobs somewhere in there. And I landed at a messenger company uh, where I drove uh, because I like to drive and they would pay me more money. And so as was my the way that I did things, uh, if they were paying me more, I'm going to go do that. So I I went and did that. And I enjoyed driving very much. I drove for about nine months, just driving my own car as a messenger. Uh, and I went to the owner of the company, there were about 30 employees at the time. And I said, your dispatcher sucks. Now I'm 22 years old. I was like, your dispatcher sucks. Uh, but here's what I'll do. And I don't know why I was, I don't know why I knew to do this. And this is very important to anybody listening. I, I don't know where this came from. No one was counseling me. I wasn't reading business magazines. I didn't know anything about investing in yourself. I just knew inherently from a street smart perspective, I suppose, that this made sense. And what I said to her was the following. I'm, I'm assuming you're paying that person $40,000, $50,000 a year to dispatch. I will do it for you. I think I can do it better. I will do it for you for $10 an hour. Now, I knew how to live on $10 an hour, right? Because to me, that was a fortune. I said, I'll do that for you for $10 an hour for six months. If at the end of six months, I'm doing the job that you want me to, uh, and, and, and you think the job I'm doing is better, then you pay me what you're paying her. And I did that job for eight, uh, seven years. Uh, and I ran that company from a million and a half dollars a year to $5 million a year, running the entire operations, working 10, 12 hours a day. But for the next six months, I worked 10, 12 hours a day doing this dispatch job for $10 an hour, uh, well under what I should have been paid. But the payoff, the investment in myself was that I got the job making $45,000 a year, which obviously was more money than I could have ever imagined uh, in my life. So then that's when the, the, it started to click for me. And I was like, wait a minute. Okay, I have, this, I have these skills. Uh, and these skills, much like when I went from, from the restaurant locally to the IHOP, right, or from IHOP to Safeway, in a much bigger scale, these skills have value. So now I'm 27, 28 years old. I'm sitting in my office. And I get approached. I had trained all of the dispatchers in town and kind of had, a, had grown a bit of a, of a reputation. So I got approached from a company out of Seattle and they said, hey, Jerry, why don't you uh, help us start a company and we'll put you in charge of it? And I said, OK. And they had sent me a pro forma and, uh, you know, kind of a forecast on what they thought the business would look like. And I remember sitting there, two pieces of paper in front of me. I had no idea what I was looking at. Now, I was 
Richard, I was hot shit. And I, everybody working for me was twice my age. And I could tell you where 30 people were at one time and keep track of a hundred things in my head and have three conversations at a time, man, I couldn't be touched. I was the greatest. And all of a sudden I have these two pieces of paper in front of me and I'm humbled. I didn't, I literally didn't know what I, what I was looking, looking at. And so it's the second epiphany in my life uh, of the two major epiphanies I've had. And sitting there in that desk, staring at this downtown Portland, it just came to me. And I said, if you don't shut up and listen, if you don't find people that are smarter than you are, you're going to still be working for $45,000 a year or maybe a little bit more when you're 50 years old. I mean, I had that specific epiphany. Shut up and listen. This is before all of these online gurus and all the rest of it are telling us to shut up. I just knew again, I kind of had that inherent feeling, shut up and listen. And so what I did is I got rid of all of my friends because uh, all we did is talk about sports, play sports, talk about sports, go to the bar for sports, uh, uh, argue about sports, 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 sports. And so I said, there's no value in that. I need to find friends that, that I'm dumber than. I need to find some attorneys and some accountants and people who know better than I do and then shut up and listen. And so I'm sitting here today because of that epiphany. And that company uh, ended up, uh, it, I, I, I did $3 million my first year for those guys. They didn't believe that I would do that. Uh, and so I ended up having to, after a year, they fired me. And 17 days later, I opened this company now. And here we are 22 years, uh, 22 years later. That's Sorry, really that awesome. kind of, yeah, there's, there's that kind of went of... on forever there, but I wanted to make sure I, I answered that thoroughly. <laughs> no, there's some really good stuff in that. Um, and so there's two things I want to pull out real quick that I think are really important um, for people to get. One of them is, is, is the idea that you, you learn to invest in yourself at a young age, right? Mm -hmm. So the whole idea that, that, um, that if I make myself more valuable, that you get, um, get things. So, so like your example of, I will do this job for $10 an hour, knowing that it's less than what you're, what it's worth. That's a, a um, I, I tell people all the time that entrepreneurs are willing to work for free for future value. That's right. Right. Um, yep. And so we, we actually operate that way in our own company. Like that's how we close sales is I'll go into, go into talk to people and like, you know, they'll, they'll come to us with projects and stuff like that. And I will just do the first part of the project for them as a way to prove to them that we can actually help them by actually helping them and getting them a result. Um, and they come back and they're like, how much is that? I'm like, hey, the first one's on the house kind of thing, right? It's a right. work for free kind of thing. And those those things turn into big long-term contracts that are worth, you know, over the years, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Yeah, right? and people um, will tell and you, people will tell you all the time too, and I, I, I could not agree with you more. I see it all the time online, uh, particularly with new owner, new businesses asking for advice and they get all this advice about whatever you do, don't do shit for free. And I, I just, I throw my hands up in the you air laugh. because there's this all again, the business gurus who haven't never ran a business, who've never owned a business, but boy, they read a book uh, and then they're telling, don't do things for free. I've done more shit for free in my lifetime than I can shake a stick at and and here I sit and you're the same way. So I, I could not agree with that more as a great yeah. way to bring in customers. And then if you don't get it, you know, again, it's a learning experience. what you do right, wrong? What can you take away from it? Uh, you know, maybe some, that guy will remind you, remind or remember you down the line. I mean, there's always value even when you lose. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, um, I, I say it's a, uh, um, you know, so uh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Christian. And one of the things that I always uh, go back to is like in Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount, um, where he talks about like things, um, all the different things he talks about. One of the things he talks about is, you know, you give first and then you shall receive. Like that's, that's one of those, 
Like I, mm -hmm. I tell people that's a, uh, it's a way the universe works, right? It's not like uh, this is what you should do. It's more like, hey, these are the laws of the universe. And if you operate that way, that's like, like that's just the way that's the way the universe right. works. So, um, so we uh, uh, we operate that way in our business. And one of the things I've I've found is that it, if you understand how to how to do that and how to do it intelligently. Right. So you, like you learn over over the years of like what you know, what makes a good client, what makes other things and the ones that are worth actually putting some free effort into. Sure. Um, but uh, um, I have found even with clients that, you know, people who don't end up becoming clients, you do something like that for them. Um, I had one person that like we didn't end up being a good fit, but every time they run into someone that is a good fit, they send them my way. Right. That's right. And so like that relationship has turned into more business than if they had become a client themselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that kind of stuff happens all the time. So I, I love the idea of learning how to, to essentially entrepreneurs work for free for future value. So that's the first one that I wanted to call out. And the second thing that I wanted to um, call out was um, the, the idea that you are um, working for things that are going to happen, like going to happen next, your future, the future is, is like, you're not working for today. You're working for the long, the long game, right? You're playing a, you're playing a longer game than other people play. That yeah. Makes sense. I, I think the, and with that, the, the value in that for me was that back to that latchkey kid kind of independence uh, is that I had faith in myself because I was self-sufficient. Uh, I was mm -hmm. taking two buses across Portland from one side to the other when I was six years old, nobody all by myself. Imagine that uh, in today's world. And so yeah. I look at that. I look back on all of that fondly and this is in the middle of the 70s and the height of the heroin epidemic in downtown and there i am right there uh but i look at that fondly and say the skills i picked up there unknowingly are ones that then helped me when it came time to invest in myself and and and, and believe that i'm always going to succeed almost gave me and it's funny that you use uh, the comic book reference uh because i say all the time that I think I'm Superman. So if you ask me what my superpower is, my power is I think I'm Superman, meaning that no matter what I'm going to do, I'm going to persevere. I'm going to come out ahead and I can't be stopped. I'll put in the hours. I'll put in the time. I'll put in the effort. I'll put in the pain. I'll put in the risk. Uh, whatever it is, I will do it. And then if I lose, I shake it off. I stand back up. And guess what? I go do it again. And I go do yeah. it again. And so I go do it again. My question for you on that is when did you when did you sort of come to that realization? Because it's something that that I think a lot of entrepreneurs realize is, um, and I tell people this all the time. I was like, you can't compete with me, right? And the reason That's I know right. you can't compete with me is because I will work you under a table, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I tell I tell people that all the time. It's like in in, in my areas, the places that I, that I know that I have skills, um, you can't compete with me, right? And because you know I. I will, I will outwork you. I will outthink you. I will like when long after you've dropped under the table drunk from taking too many shots, I will continue going. Right. That's right. <laughs> the whole, um, and that's, it's, it's a thing that like I've, anyone who is, who is in that entrepreneurial space, who has, has their, they have that realization that, you know, I've gotten to the point where you, you can't be competed with. Um, and you know, I'm just curious, where did, where did you sort of come to that realization for yourself that you're like, Hey, you know what, there's, there's no competition for, you know, in my case, I say there's no competition for real men or real women who are actually willing to put in work. You know, on the comp, I've said that same thing here over the last few years. I, uh, my producer is 27. He started with me when he was 25, Billy. Uh, and I, and, and so I'm, I, and I have that young of a person too, because we, we kind of play off of each other and I get a good insight into what the 25, 26, 27 and the people we use to edit are young. And so 
I, and I tell them all, if I was 25 years old today, none of you would stand a chance. The, 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 the opportunity that's available today to kids uh, is so tremendous over what I had back in the 80s. Uh, it's insane. And so they should be glad that I'm not 25, 26, 27, because I'd just be crushing everything that I, looked, that, that I came across. And for me, though, I don't look at it as a competition. I really didn't until, until just recently. I just had this utmost faith and belief in myself. I didn't need to hold myself accountable to anybody else uh, or to beat out anybody else. I was, I was fighting institutional generational poverty. That's what I was fighting. So my race was, I didn't want to the extent I was going to have kids and I have three of them now, they weren't going, I was not going to continue this legacy that I came from, which is this institutional poverty that was just generational. I have kids that I went to school with that are my age, that are great grandparents that are my age, 51 years old. Think about that. So they got pregnant as teenagers. Their mother had them as teenagers. Their daughter got pregnant as teenagers. And now the daughter's pregnant. Right. So we're talking about great granddaughters uh, at 51 years old. And so that's the norm. That's the expected. That's where you are going. Uh, And so for me, I was running from that as quickly as I could. And if someone got in my way, I just bowl you over because there was going to be I I was just going to work as hard as I could to amass as much as I could. And then when I had that epiphany at 28, I started to learn. That's when I really took off because I started to learn exponentially uh, at 28 because I was open to hearing what other people said. I realized I didn't I knew a lot about one thing, but I there's this whole other world that started with spreadsheets that I had no idea what they were. Uh, And so for me, as I started to learn exponentially, uh, by 33, I was a millionaire uh and i'm 51 now and have been in business for almost a quarter of a decade uh so yeah, for, that's so, awesome so that would be my answer <laughs> to that now it's about competition and 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 the young guys and you know all of that but but coming up and, and going through the last 20 years really it was just about me cementing a change in my lineage from where i came from to what i was passing on to my kids yeah, yeah. It's one of the things that uh, I talk about all the time is, you know, the, the reason I can do a lot of the things that I can do is because I stand on the shoulder of giants, right? Everything from the entrepreneurs that came before me to, you know, sure. the last generation to what my dad, my dad worked his ass off to, you know, give us the life he gave us growing up. Um, and, uh, you know, because he came from where you, you were, right? He was poor. His dad died when he was eight years old. And he basically helped support his family of five when he was like 15 years old and put his older brother through college and like that kind of stuff. Um, and you know, we never wanted for anything as kids because of the Mm -hmm. amount of effort he put in. Um, and you know, I just, I had such a great starting point because of where he put us off to that. Like I, you know, I've been able to, like you said, crush it, right. I can crush it because of what I was given to start with. Um, and so that's a, it's a really cool place to be. Um, and it's funny because like you, you mentioned, you know, getting to that place where you realize you need to be in a room of people who are smarter than you are. Um, And I remember I had that, I had that realization just recently, like, and I say just recently, it was like within the last four or five years um, that I realized the thing that was holding my business back was that um, I was the smartest person in all the rooms I was in. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem. Um, Mm -hmm. Like if you want to grow, you can't be the smartest person in the room. Um, And so I started changing the rooms that I was in. And I remember the, uh, the first, first time I got into a mastermind that I'm still a part of now um, that I, the first weekend that I was there, um, with these people, I was like, in my head, the picture I have of like the way it felt was like, I was in a room, like in a swimming pool with all these like varsity um, water polo players. And I was like a seven year old learning how to swim. 
yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't even know how I managed to get into that room, but there I was. Um, and it's funny because, you know, three years later from after getting in that room, my business is four times bigger than it was. Um, yeah. Right. Um, that, and it, you it, can't, you can't go anywhere. I, I say this all of the time on Twitter, on Instagram without being uncomfortable. If you want to find any kind of success, doesn't matter what it is, label success however you want. It doesn't have to be monetary success. I believe that you can't get there unless you're uncomfortable. And being the seven-year-old in the water when all of the, the college-age kids are playing uh, water polo, that is uncomfortable. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they don't want to be wrong, particularly men uh, and particularly young men, right? Because nobody knows more than 22-year-old dudes. Uh, and so... It can be very, very difficult to do, but it is, again, to use your term, another superpower, uh, is that ability to withstand that uncomfortableness and then to just absorb, to just learn, to just take in that radiation to keep that 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 uh, that superhero thing going, you know, to just kind of suck all that in and it doesn't sprout right away, right? It doesn't, you're not just taking off and running with it, but it, it will take hold. Uh, and there's a lot of lesson to be learned just if you take away nothing else, just be uncomfortable. And being uncomfortable yeah. is where you will ultimately find success. Yeah, and one of the things that I've found, and you probably speak to this a little bit because you're in that space yourself, is I have found that entrepreneurs that are 10, 20, years further along the road than you are, are incredibly helpful, right? And they mm -hmm. are like, I have not yet run into someone who's 20 years farther down the road than I am, who is not absolutely willing to sit down for coffee with me and help sure. me as a young entrepreneur get to the next level, um, which yep. is something like in my head, I didn't believe that as a younger entrepreneur, you know, five, 10 years ago, mm -hmm. where I was like, I can't talk to those people. They're unreachable. They're untouchable. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and then you find people like yourself or some of the people that are in my my mastermind groups who are, you know, they've got business, seven figure businesses and I've got like a small six figure business. Right. You know, and, and I was like, why would they talk to me? Why would they take the time? And you find right. out that like one of the things that I have found is pervasive in the space of entrepreneurs is how much they're willing to give back to the next generation of entrepreneurs. Um, so my encouragement to the listeners is that don't be afraid of that. Right. Don't be afraid to ask for help because um, you'll find that, you know, you'll find people and entrepreneurs and you know, find the people who are smarter and more educated than you are, are more, more than happy to, um, you know, even if it's just to sit down and have a cup of coffee and, you know, talk about your business, talk about life, talk about the skills that you need to have. It's a um, it's it's really cool. And it the thing that I've discovered is if you if some if you're talking to someone who has a kind of experience and you turn around and you implement the things that they tell you, they are all that much more likely to just step up and do more, right? That's and help right. you more. The Hero Show will be right back. Hey there, fellow podcaster. Having a weekly audio and video show on all the major online networks that builds your brand, creates fame, and drives sales for your business doesn't have to be hard. I know it feels that way because you've tried managing your show internally and realize how resource intensive it can be. You felt the pain of pouring eight to 10 hours of work into just getting one hour of content published and promoted all over the place. You see the drain on your resources, but you do it anyways because you know how powerful it is. Heck, you've probably even tried some of those automated solutions and ended up with stuff that makes your brand look cheesy and cheap. That's not helping grow your business. Don't give up though. The struggle ends now. Introducing Push Button Podcasts, a done-for-you service that will help you get your show out every single week without you lifting a finger after you've pushed that stop record button. We handle everything else, uploading, editing, transcribing, writing, research, graphics, publication, and promotion, all done by real humans who know, understand, and care about your brand 
almost as much as you do. Empowered by our own proprietary technology, our team will let you get back to doing what you love while we handle the rest. Check us out at pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero for 10% off the lifetime of your service with us and see the power of having an audio and video podcast growing and driving micro celebrity status and business in your niche without you having to lift more than a finger to push that stop record button. Again, that's pushbuttonpodcast.com forward slash hero. See you there. You're listening to The Hero Show, unlocking the power of influence and success. Yeah, I, I just did a post the other day about uh, uh, why, why do people ask for advice and then they don't follow it? You know, yeah, yeah. It, it, I have people come and ask me about business and this is what my business is doing. And I think back, OK, 20 years ago, I had that same problem. Here's how I dealt with it. That was wrong. Here's what it cost me. So then I ended up doing this. So you go do this and you'll be just fine. And then they don't want to go do that. And then I think. You weren't asking me about brain surgery, because if you're asking me about brain surgery, I don't know anything about brain surgery. So I wouldn't have answered the question. But you asked, you asked me about, you know, you asked somebody who has done that specific thing, made the mistake, paid for it, fixed it. And this is what I did to fix it. And you can save yourself all the grief, but you don't like the answer. So you don't follow the uh, you don't follow the advice. So to your point, just the other day, uh, I, I, I tweeted that out. But on the flip side to it. Um, it, and I'll use Billy again, my producer, uh, he bought a house and here's here you go. Why would somebody like you help somebody out? You know, that's just coming up. So Billy wants to get into real estate and, uh, and wants to get some passive income. I'm a big real estate guy. And so I'm helping him buy his first uh, duplex first, the really first house that he ever bought. And, and he bought more than he thought he ever could. And is a great deal better than what he thought he could get. But after 10 or 12 deals had fallen through, he was starting to kind of feel like it wasn't going to happen for him. And he's asking questions that I found to be quaint. Uh, and so what I learned was that I got to kind of vicariously remember how uncomfortable doing these deals can be uh, and kind of just the enjoyment and the, the excitement that comes from doing those first deals. Because when I sign for real estate, somebody brings me the paperwork and I sign it and somebody runs off with it, right? There's, there's, there's none of the pomp yeah. and circumstance that comes with it anymore. Uh, but at the same time, it helps me kind of reinvigorate me for business whenever I can help younger guys. Um, and I love business and we all love business. And, and I think that, that that's great advice on your part because not enough people, you know what I find is interesting, Richard, people will pay for advice before they'll ask for advice mm -hmm. on the internet, right? They'll pay for it before they'll ask for it. And I don't know how that makes a, 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 any, a lick of sense whatsoever, but that's been my experience. Oh, I'm buying this, you know, program here. I'm buying this program here. And it's like, well, you could just ask me, you could just reach out. We're on the internet. You know, I mean, there's a million other yeah, people we're just here. like me. We're here. You could just ask. We're here. You uh, just ask. Um, and yeah. man, I, I have gotten more accomplished by finding people that are doing things that I want to do and offering to take them out to lunch. Yeah. Um, then like anything else. Right. And it's, it's amazing how often people will say yes to things like that. Be like, Hey, I noticed like you, you run a really cool business. Can I, you know, can I offer to take you out to lunch, stuff like that. And like people say yes to stuff like that. That's um, right. But to your, to your point about asking for advice, that's uncomfortable. One of the things that, um, that changed my business for me was that uh, that room I told you I went to, right. The first time I was in the room and like all these people, I uh, felt like I was in a, um, you know, a pool full of uh, water polo specialists. And I was a seven-year-old kid who didn't know how to swim yet. Um, one of the things that, you know, I was invited into the room because I had a specific set of skills, right? And 
So in certain areas, I was the smartest person in the room, which was cool. So that's how I got into the room in the first place. But um, I, so, so we, we all came around and chatted about the things that, you know, that we were skilled at. Um, and when, it, when we were done, the guy who put the, the mastermind on together, he pulled me aside and he was like, hey, I have, I have a couple of pieces of advice for you. And he was like, the thing that I noticed about your business and the things that you talk about, the things that you do, which are really cool and really powerful, is you're your own bottleneck. And he was like, the thing that I want you to do when you leave here is hire, hire this person, right? Like go out and hire this person to do these things in your business. And in my head, I was like, I, I can't do that. Like, I can't afford to hire someone right now. I don't know how that would happen. And he was like, I don't care how you plan to pay for them or anything else. He's like, the thing that you need to do is you need to hire them, hire this person, have them do these things. Um, and I remember like panicking internally and being like, I can't do that. Like, that's not something that, I, that I'm, I'm not in a place in my business where I can afford that. I can't do any of these things. Um, and I remember like literally shaking. Cause I was like, I respected this guy and he was really good at what he did. And, and like, when he offered advice like that, I was like, I know I need to do that, but I know like in my head, I know I also can't do that. But I remember going home and I sat on it for a couple of days and then, um, about a month later, I just, I hired the person for, um, and I was like, I was talking to my wife about it. I was like, I don't know how we're going to do this. Cause like, I'm, that means I'm on the line for this person's salary and their family's depending on us and our revenue. And like, there's all these things that go into now I'm not just a solopreneur. I am a CEO and I've got other people's families who are relying on the revenue that our business generates. And there's like all this fear that went into hiring staff. Right. Um, and, you know, I'm sure you probably remember the first time you hired someone, but I hired my first person and I was like, I don't know how we're going to afford this. And my wife is like, I trust you. You can do it. So I, I hired the person we hired them on. Um, and I didn't know how we were going to pay for them. And by the end of the first month, the, the, like it clicked for me that now all of a sudden it wasn't just my 40 hours a week that was getting work done. I had another 40 hours of work that was getting put into our right. output. And within the first month, we doubled our revenue, mm -hmm. right? Because I was the bottleneck. Um, and it wasn't something that I could see, right? I couldn't see that because I was on the inside. It took someone else giving me that advice. Um, and then me, despite being scared to death of that advice, taking it anyways. Um, and since that day, my business has grown four, four times, right? So like we're four times larger than when we started everything from employees to revenue to number of clients and all sorts of things, because I was willing to take advice that I was afraid of and, and act on it. And, and the, the thing too, is when someone like that gives you that advice from his perspective, it's not really advice. It's here's what you go do, but here's what you yeah. go do based on the 10,000 different experiences I've had that bring me to this point to give you this advice to you. You're going, Oh my God, I can't buy that duplex or, Oh my God, I can't hire that person. And I'm sitting here going, but you can't not you have to, right? I don't have to do next. <laughs> right. Correct. I don't, you just can't not do it. And as soon as you do it, you'll realize that this is going to happen. And that's what I mean when you find those groups, when you find a, a, a part of, of success is finding that mentor and that person should challenge you fiercely. So that person, if you have somebody that's just there to egg you on and give you a good time and tell you to keep working hard, that's the wrong person. You need somebody that makes you uncomfortable, somebody that calls you to the floor. Uh, and because this is a, this is a battle. Business is, is it's, it's rough. And if all you're getting is good vibrations, in advice, you're doomed. Um, the guys that can handle 
the ugly parts of business are the ones that typically are going to come out ahead. I assume every day I'm going to be out of business uh, when I come in in the morning. And that kind of gets me through to the end of the day. And I start all over again, because again, I, you know, I come from nothing. That's another part, though, uh, also uh, along those lines is that I don't fear risk. Uh, and risk to your part, you know, risk and buy or getting bringing on that employee or risk and buying the the duplex. I don't fear risk because I've been poor. I mean, I've, I drank powdered milk. Uh, and so yeah. that doesn't scare me. And I think that stops a lot of entrepreneurs from doing what they think they or, or what they want to go do simply because they're frightened of the repercussions. But I say, like that CEO said to you, if you could look through my eyes for two minutes, you would see what's what's possible uh well beyond anything you could ever imagine uh if you came from say your background uh and so when i tell you this is what i would go do and i don't think twice about it well you're going to toss and turn and be up all night three weeks in a row uh and then you do it and it usually works out particularly if you're taking that advice so for me i never forget that i I do not have any risk aversion whatsoever. And I have three kids at home and I started a business with a brand new son uh, at home on a house that I had just bought. Um, and so for me, it was a, a, a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah. It's because uh, I don't one fear of those the things risk. that, that uh, I, I have, I have learned over the years. Um, I, I call it um, learning to be a parachute builder. Right. And what I mean by that is, you know, you jump off the cliff and learn to build the parachute on the way down. Yeah, that's it. Um, yeah. Um, is like, that's the way entrepreneurs operate. And, um, and it's, uh, it's one of the things that you have to, you have to like learn that skill for someone who, you know, who came from a privileged background because of all the work my dad put into his life. Right. Mm -hmm. I have to, I have to overcome some of that stuff. Um, and I exercise that muscle regularly now where it's like, you know, we jump first and then we figure out, you know, how it's going to happen because the risk is part of the game, right? It's part of the game that you're playing. And that's um, the, and, you know, and that's how you find a success. I say, people go, I don't have any money. I said, that's wrong. It's the wrong way to look at it. Figure out what you want and then go find the money. Because believe it or not, money's always easy to find. Well, how could Jerry, how can you even say that? Because I've done it 5,000 times and I can direct you to 20 people right now. That'll give you loans that you didn't even know, that you even knew existed. Ways to finance startups and companies and real estate that you didn't even know existed. Now the interest rate might be a little bit more and you're going to have to work twice as hard for it, but there are ways of financing things that the, that the average day person just doesn't understand. And so I say, go find what you want, figure out what that is, and then go find the money afterwards. Because Nine times out of 10, you're going to be able to secure financing for whatever it is that you're trying to, whatever it is you're trying to do. So we can all plan too much and save too much and work too hard to try to get these things going. Uh, but if we listen to some advice and get some, uh, some access to people who have been there and done that, you can save yourself enormous amounts of time uh, and, 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 uh, and, and probably hedge your risk just a little bit also. Absolutely. So I want to uh, to to talk about something a little different in the uh, in the interview. So we, we we sort of covered your superpowers already. I didn't really have a section for that, but we already talked about Superman. The the flip side of your superpower is, of course, your fatal flaw, right? Yeah. So just like every Superman has his kryptonite or Wonder Woman can't remove her uh, bracelets of victory without going mad, you probably have a flaw that has held you back in your business. Something that you struggled with. Maybe it's perfectionism. That's something I struggled with for a long time. Keeps you from shipping, or lack of self care that you know lets your uh, clients walk all over you. Um, but I think more important than what it is, is how have you worked to rectify it? So for our listeners who might suffer from the same thing, they might be able to learn from your experience on that. I, uh, as a younger guy, as you can imagine, who had all of this, um, 
who had all of these responsibilities working for the company that I worked for when I was 28. Like I said, I had 100 people that reported to me directly. Uh, and then when I started my business at 28, and then uh, I grew it to $3 million in the first year, and then I had to got fired from that. And then I went and retrenched and started again 17 days later. I did $3 million. I did $4 million my first year, eight my second, 12 my third, and 14 my fourth. So, I mean, I had this exponential growth. Yeah, it was exponential growth. I had 220 some employees. Um, and what I learned, so you can imagine how big my head was coming from the streets, 33 years old, I'm a millionaire, you know, 10, 12 years prior, I'm living on the, uh, in a flop house. And so I got way out over my skis and I don't know how people dealt with me. I don't know how anyone put up with me. I really don't because I was a nightmare uh, and I knew the answer and I had, a, I was all powerful and I, I'll outwork you and I'll outthink you. Uh, I don't need you. Um, and so that probably cost me five years worth of time. Uh, I'd be five years ahead of where I am now uh, if I hadn't gotten out of my own way. And so that ability to let other people, I always say a good manager it took me years to learn that, uh, learn this, a good manager uh, lets gets people to do what he wants them to while letting them think it's their idea, which is very difficult to do yeah. as a person is that you do all the work, you put all the effort into it. Uh, and then you tell them what to do and let them think it's their idea. Jerry, I can't do that. Exactly. Now take that times a thousand because that was me. So not only would I tell you what to do, how to do it, and then I'd shove it in your face that I did just tell you what to do and how to do it. Um, and so I was a nightmare. So I really had to learn. And again, some of that comes with maturity. I had to brush off uh, kind of the street kid that I was and kind of the rougher edges and learn how to, to operate in an organized society. So really, I would say, that is that that was my kryptonite, if you will, uh, and then I cured it through just extensive introspection um, and 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 I evaluate I have a very analytical brain, and so luckily I'm not emotional at all, uh, which is very beneficial when it comes to uh, to business uh, because business, making yeah. making decisions uh, emotionally is just brutal. so I have a very analytical brain, and I don't get too excited generally, and so I was able to work through kind of that pompous ass that I was and 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 look at myself honestly, eh, maybe this is by the time I was thirty eight or nine, so it took. 10 years. Um, and, and from that point forward, uh, I mean, the businesses really, really took off and really my, everything I had really kind of to, started to sprout this is 13, 15 years ago, maybe. Yeah. So that's, it's actually a really interesting discussion because, um, I, I have, uh, like, I understand that, right. Where, where, when, when you, when you realize at a young age that you're the smartest guy in the room, like that's a, it's a hard thing to deal with. Um, and so like, I remember going through that myself. I had, I had some benefits. One of my mentors growing up, my spiritual mentor growing up, um, taught me a lot about how to like actually think about myself and some other things. Um, and one of the things that I learned pretty young was that, uh, that the, the difference between, um, like humility and like what people think humility is and what humility actually is, is this idea that like, like a lot of people think humility equals like denying your own skill set, like, or de mm -hmm. de denying your skills. And, you know, like you either are a pompous ass or you're humble, right? Like that's what those two things are. Mm -hmm. um, and what's interesting is you, you are capable of recognizing the greatness that you have been given, like your spark of divinity, the thing that you're really good at um, and being humble about it, which um, is the idea that like, Hey, I, 
I've earned the things that I have. I've earned the skills that I have, and I have, um, I have, you know, I have value there. Um, but realizing that like there's more that like other people have that as well, right? Like they have the things that they're good at and their skill sets. Realizing that you're not the end all be all, and that's a it's like a hard it's a hard thing to understand is like how how do you not reject your own skills mm-hmm. um but also like you so like you recognize them but don't do it in a way that you you turn into the pompous ass as you said right yeah. <laughs> then that and, um, I, and for me what i had to do is i had to transition this goes c- contrary to popular belief but i think this is a, in my experience this is 100 percent true uh i had to transition from a from a low small ego to a big ego. You go, well, God, Jerry, all we hear is our whole lives is that big, big egos are bad. I said, and I, and I'll tell you that the ingredient is a big ego with a healthy dose of humility. And so I Mm -hmm. don't, and I'm humble. I don't forget where I've come from. Now, this is all through maturity getting to where, you know, I'm sitting here as a 51 year old telling you this, but over the last 10 years, it's really that humility and that humbleness, not forgetting where I came from, combined with a large ego. And what a large ego allows me to do is I don't care about being right or wrong. You can be right Mm -hmm. all day long, Richard, as long as you're making me money, I could care less, right? So in terms of that, it's not important to me anymore. I don't identify as that person who has to be right or wrong. In fact, I really don't care because my ego is unassailable. You're not going to hurt me no matter what you do. So that means I can give you all of the credit. I can give you all of the glory. I can stand in the back of the room while everyone claps for you and I'll be right there clapping right along with you. And then I'll be the one that's making the money and my company continues to prosper. And so that's what a large ego does. That small ego is the one that makes you want to run to the front of the room and say, I did it. Right. No, I yeah. can't let you do that. That's offensive to me. Uh, you, you know, I can't give up that kind of credit. Look at me, look at me, look at me. And that's where it makes business very difficult, particularly when you're managing people. So those, those ingredients for me, humility and humbleness com- that doesn't forget where I came from combined with then this large ego that doesn't let my feelings get hurt uh, and a healthy dose. So I don't get too emotional anyway, uh, are, are all some of the key ingredients. Uh, and again, I keep using superpowers to, to, to use your theme, uh, that have helped me get where I am. So I agree with you on that. Yeah, that's a, it's, and it's a really, it's a really interesting thing. And it's hard, like, there's not a word that describes that. So it's hard to like discuss, um, but it's like that idea that you, you have to have, like, you have to have that big ego and that arrogance, right? That understanding that like, I'm here, I've earned this. I know where I'm at. I know where I stand. I know what my skill sets are. And I know that nobody can really touch me. Right. So it doesn't matter whether or not I get the adulation or the praise or whatever, like what matters to me is that my business grows, that my team gets the things that they need, right? That they get the adulation that they need, that they get the praise that they need, that they get where they want to go in their life, right? And because of the work they're doing for our business, that kind of stuff, that, that like that's more important. I don't need to have my ego stoked, right? Because yeah. I've already, like it's already there. Like I've, I've, I've earned it. Right, right, right. I, um, I, I, that's 100% correct. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a, it's a really, really interesting discussion. Glad you, uh, you sort of brought that up. That's, that's really cool. So my next question for you then is your common enemy, right? So every superhero has an arch nemesis, right? It's the thing that they constantly have to fight against in their world, right? So in the world of business, it takes many forms, but generally speaking, we put it in the context of like your clients and people that you've worked with. Um, and it's generally, it's a mindset or it's a flaw or it's something that you constantly are like banging your head against the wall. You're like, Hey, if I didn't have to deal with this thing, 
or if you had your magic wand and you could just bang all your clients on the head with it at the beginning of your relationship that you could get better, cheaper, faster, and or a higher degree of results for them. What is that thing that you constantly sort of have to fight against in your business? So uh, to anybody who doesn't know, Richard has a long list of questions uh, kind of wrapped around this superhero theme that he does. And that's another one of his questions. And so I just want to say, I read your questions, but I didn't give him any thought because I wanted to answer each question uh, spontaneously. I didn't want to have anything scripted out. I don't have any notes uh, for just this reason, because as you're asking me the question, now I'm going through my head to see what pops up rather than some canned response about what may or may not have impacted me on the day that I read the question. Uh, and so I, I think I came up with a better answer than I would have otherwise, which is that the thing that is my arch nemesis is, to, uh, is I have two of them, critical thinking and passive aggressiveness, just kind of common sense and passive yeah. aggressiveness, um, passive aggressiveness, be they in customers, but really be they in just the general population employees. When you have as many employees as I do, uh, you see so many otherwise talented, uh, individuals with work ethic, but they just don't have the common sense. If I could bottle common sense and sell it, I wouldn't have to do all these other things I'm doing. Uh, I would be a fat cat without no question about it. So critical thinking and common sense, uh, are are uh, are just so missing and lacking today, uh, particularly you know in the in the sub forty year old uh, uh, demographic, uh, and I don't know what I mean. I have ideas on why that is, but uh, as the kids, as I get older and they get younger, that whole ability to to discern and look at a problem and figure it out. Uh, seems to be coming less and less of a skill and to the point now where I say in order to be extraordinary, you just have to be ordinary. To be ordinary yeah, when yeah. I was born, or, or to be extraordinary when I was born, you had to really stand out. I mean, that was something else. And today, uh, as an employer, I will take extraordinary, which is really just ordinary by any other, uh, by any other measure. So I would say that if I was to be critical, um, or what is that thing that I fight the most that I wish I had more of, or could teach more of, or could find more of, I would say critical thinking and common sense. I, I think we are seeing an, a lot of that, um, play out on our national stage in politics right now. Mm -hmm. So <laughs> I agree. Um, it's, yeah, I agree. Uh, it's kind of insane. Well, um, right along I, that, not to make it political, but right along those lines, you know, it, it takes critical thinking to vote. It's it, it's nothing. Uh, uh, and this is a perfect example. Nothing that you hear or see on television is true for the most part. You have to or if you take it at face value. It, it It's not necessarily what you think it is. You owe it to yourself and you want to. Uh, you want to build yourself in such a way that you'll question everything and verify. A good example, and, and I'm not saying this is true or not. I'll just use this as an example. Let's say they say the Amazon's, you know, they're destroying 100 yards of the Amazon every day. You go 100 yards of the Amazon, that's terrible. And that's the way that they'll, they'll sell it to you. What they don't tell you, there's 87 billion yards of Amazon, and we couldn't destroy it in 500 years if we tried. Now, like I said, I didn't say that's true. I'm just giving you that for an example. Uh, a critical thinker would say, okay, how many square feet or yards are there of, 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 of Amazon that we're destroying? See, that one more question, but it's so easy to stop at 100 yards. That's terrible. Uh, and not go to that next question. And that's where we want to stop being emotional. We want to start being analytical. And that's where the critical thinking comes in. So imagine if everything a politician said, we, 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 we fact-checked. 
right? And, and yeah. you did the work rather than it makes you feel good because he speaks so eloquently or all the rest of it. No, I don't care about any of that. Here's what he said. I have this very cool thing called the world that I hold in my hand. <laughs> Every bit of information ever amassed in humankind is right there. And I can simply look it up and do my own research. That's what I mean by critical thinking. Uh, and I think that's why I grabbed hold of that when you said politics, because I think that's a great um, we're, we're all so divided and everybody's on their side of the fence. And I really don't care if you tell me one thing and it doesn't turn out to be true. I'm going to vote the way that 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 the facts mm. take me. Yeah, yeah, and it's really interesting too because one of the things that um, I have uh, I've I was taught growing up because it's one of the things that I, I say you know I, I the reason I can do what I can do is because I stood on the shoulder of giants. One of the things that my dad hammered down my throat um, as a young kid is like he never answered anything for me, and like to this day he still doesn't. Um, and and like the 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 best that he'll ever do for me is to help me think through problems. Right, but he'll never give me the answers. Um, and I do the same thing to my kids because it's how I was raised. And it's it's this idea that like the answer is never just handed to you on a silver platter. You always have to go the next level. You have to take right. it the next level deeper and understand like, how do you search for things? How do you find things? How do you use those thinking skills? Um, and it's, you know, I, I was blessed to be taught that. Um, but it's something that can be learned, right? If you weren't taught that it's something that can be learned. Um, right. and, uh, what I find interesting is like, I, one of the things that I do in my business is we do a lot of, um, we build education for other companies to help them sell it. Um, and a lot of the education that we're teaching people is we teach people how to do, Things like I, I work with a couple of you, you do real estate, right? So I have a couple yeah. of uh, educators that teach real estate investing. And being a real estate investor does not make you a great teacher of real estate investing, right? Sure. Those are two separate skill sets. Right. Um, but one of the things that I'm really good at is teaching, right? So I can work with, I work, I, it's a publisher model sort of, well, I work with someone who's an educator or who has a skill set and wants to be an educator. Um, and so we do a lot of like, how do you build training? that gets people to take actions, right? Cause we're not teaching mm -hmm. people how to like read and write, which is like, you just learn that by rote and you just have to, you know, muscle your way through it. You're teaching people how to do things that like, if they want to get the results, they have to go out and change their actions. They have to do things differently. Um, so you have to teach in, in such a way that encourages that those actions to change. Um, and so like, to your point, you mentioned the, uh, um, the idea that, you know, people will make decisions based on emotion. Right. Yeah. And what's interesting is people make decisions based on their emotion, but then they generally will go back and back them up, hopefully with logic. Right. So the idea that like, you know, I buy a, uh, you know, I buy a BMW, right. You know, I go to the store and I buy a BMW because it makes me feel good. Right. Because it looks cool because of the way people interact with you when you drive a BMW, you get interacted with differently. That's an emotional buying reason. Right. And then when someone asks you, why did you buy a BMW? You don't respond with, well, because it makes me look cool. And I like the way the people interact with me when I bought a BMW, even though that's true. You don't respond that way. You respond with, well, you know, it's got uh, a 3.0 inline six engine and it does blah, blah, blah. And you're like, you have all of the logical justifications for why you bought the BMW, right? So mm -hmm. people make decisions with emotion and they back up with logic. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I find is really interesting is for some reason, when it comes to the critical thinking skills and things like, you know, what's going on with the politics is we, we hear the emotion and then we don't do the next step, which is right. like, let's go and logically back up that emotion and find up find out do these things true is the emotion is the emotional trigger like worth like is it actually worth being there so it's a it's an interesting step that like for for whatever reason in in certain areas we don't take the same actions we do elsewhere right because in your in your most of your other decisions in your life you you do you know emotion first back up with logic and for whatever reason in politics and global things like that it seems like we stop at the emotion and then per forget to do the critical things particularly if they tell you what you want to hear 
particularly if they if yeah. it goes along with what you already believe. Uh, that to me, that comfort. This goes back to being uncomfortable. That comfort level where somebody will say something, and I'll go, I agree with that. I like that. No, that's uncomfortable. Don't do that <laughs> because in uh, you know the world is hard and when you are going through life and you're making decisions, the, the easy decision is rarely the correct decision. Uh, and that's been my experience over, like I said, a dozen companies and everything that I've been through. And so the hard decision is typically the correct decision. And so I search for, and I've trained myself that I don't pay it when I'm comfortable, something's wrong. You know, the little warning bell goes off now after all of these years and something tells me, I need to verify exactly what I think because this is too simple. And so if someone says something to me and I go, I really like that. That feels good. Nope. Hold on a minute. Let me go check that. Because that sense of I get along and that feels good to me, there's no value in that. I need to check that and make sure that's right. And then now I might be uncomfortable because I learned that it's not true. And the person who said it, I look up to and, uh, you know, all, and then you start to justify it and all of the rest of these things, this same from a from a from a, a politic or political perspective is also true in business those same skills yeah. if you can look at politicians and, and critique them and fact check them business is the same way because politicians are going to throw you easy answers and rarely is the answer ever easy rarely is it ever you know the hard way is yeah, always the correct way it's the same like i said it's exactly the same way in business right where you you have you especially you mentioned earlier a lot of people like to pay for advice um and you know if you buy when you buy advice you are you are given advice that is sellable right Mm -hmm. (laughs) um so if someone's going to sell advice they have to package it up in a way that people are going to want to buy it sure um so so you are not buying you're not generally buying uh, i don't know how to say this you're not buying the raw advice you're buying the advice that is packaged in a way that can be sold Right. Um, right. And um, so when you are looking at things that are sold online in business and all, all these things, like I have learned over the years that I've been in business that uh, um, if everyone else is doing it, it's probably wrong. That's it. Right? That applies to that applies right. pretty much everything in life. But if everyone else is doing it, it's probably wrong. We had so much fun recording this episode, we had to break it into two parts. Check back next week for part two of this exciting conversation. 